0: see no evil hear no evil speak no evil known for and famous for monkeys nobody thinks much about this phrase so let's have some fun let's find out why see no evil hear no evil speak no evil is secretly incredibly fascinating There, folks. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, of podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm very much not alone. I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Katie Golden. Katie, hello. Happy Monkey Podcast Day.
1: I'm so excited for Monkey Podcast Day.
0: And also, uh, folks, we're past the maximum fun drive, and thank you to every single person who has supported it and backed it and been part of it. But as part of celebrating that, we kind of stacked up. Extra special guest to join me and Katie, not just during, but right after. And what a special guest this week. He is a old pal of ours. He is a best-selling author. His upcoming next book is the third in the Zoe Ash series. It is Zoe is Too Drunk for This Dystopia. Available for pre-order now. Pre-order books. It's what authors depend on and what makes books sing in in the world. But we are so happy to be joined by author, TikTok star, and so much more, Jason Pargin. Jason,
2: Hello. TikTok star—that's how the world's going to remember me, isn't it?
1: Feels good, right?
2: <laughs> I think. Well, I think those of us who've known you for
0: a while get a kick out of saying it because it's new and also it's fun, you know.
2: Yes, for people who—do we have a lot of listeners who are Max Fun people who were not listening to the show before?
0: Yeah. So so far, that's what I'm hearing.
2: Yeah. I show up here sometimes. I worked with Alex back in the Cracked.com days. I have been on his show many times. Yeah. Uh, I write books and everyone thinks that it is very funny. That statistically, now in 2023, most people who have encountered me have encountered me on TikTok, where <laughs> where the videos I've posted are now crossed recently crossed 100 million views, which means that's more people than have read any of the books i worked so hard on or any of the columns I wrote at Cracked over the course of 13 years or any of the podcasts. Add it all up. It does not equal my... Freaking TikTok reach. So it's fine. It's fine. I'm not complaining. It's fine that a book that literally took me two years to write will be seen by one one thousandth of the people who will watch a TikTok that I made in 40 seconds. Um it's fine.
1: You can tell I, I, he's fine by the way his voice is right now. <laughs>
2: uh, I don't. I don't want the government to ban the app because I don't want to have to then do this all over again on whatever knockoff TikTok we're forced to make. But that's a subject for another day. I'm happy to be on the show. I'm always happy to be on the show. Uh, thank you.
1: Yeah.
0: What. What will they call TikTok USA when that app is developed, right? Will it be Freedom Talk? Will it be Bald Eagle Talk? I don't know. I don't know what we'll call it.
2: You see, here's the thing. Uh, social media apps never have names that mean anything. Like who would guess what TikTok, <laughs> if, you, if you knew nothing else, who would guess what that product is or Tumblr or any of them? So it will be, I'm going to guess, a nonsense word that is spelled wrong.
1: Freebully. Free
2: sure. Perfect. <laughs> And and it, and it won't have any vowels, any of the vowel sounds you made there. It won't have any of those. <laughs> no, so only just... <laughs>
1: consonants and then like yeah. all lowercase and then a period in the middle of it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm downloading it now.
0: Uh, and and I'm, I'm so excited about this topic this week. It is, I believe, the first one chosen through the Discord specifically. We're now doing our democracy for suggesting and voting on topics through Discord. And thank you to Blue Crab for picking this one. The topic is see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Let's go around, maybe starting with Jason. What is your relationship to this topic or opinion of this topic?
2: I am very curious to find out how many listeners, their connection to this, because I think we've seen, I think there's a horror franchise called See No Evil. It's a yeah. phrase we've heard. And then I I think some smaller number of people have seen The monkeys where there's little figurines and there's a monkey who's got his hands over his eyes, one with his hands over his ears, one's with his hands over his mouth. And so growing up, I saw those figurines. I saw that decoration. I saw those monkeys referenced in cartoons doing that motion, but did not know what it was. And I guess as a kid, foolishly assumed, well, this means something to the adults, I guess. But that is a very complicated question. Question. It turns out of what it means because as a teenager, when I got older, I thought, "Oh, it's a criticism of like people who ignore something horrible happening in the world that they like." Nope, I don't see it. I don't hear it. I I don't talk about it. And it turns out, kind of no. it, It it's it's a it's very unclear what it means. And so it gets into the other subject that I am very fascinated by, which is why some icons and symbols just stick in the human brain. Even if we don't agree on what they mean, like because this has been around for a while.
0: Yeah, it really turns out that I, Katie, how about you? How, how did you come across this? Because uh, as we'll talk about, it's millennia old, which is very exciting.
1: Also cartoons. I remember specifically there were these old, I believe, merry Melodies where a library would come alive And all the characters from the books would kind of come out of their books and interact. And they would typically also have like these monkeys as like a bookend. And the little monkeys would come alive and sing a little song of like, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. I had no concept of what it meant. (laughs) I just enjoyed watching the singing monkeys.
2: And we're going to find out there's a running theory through this that I think part of why this has survived over century after century is that it is just fun to say and look at. That I don't know that It's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very much. There's a rich, deep history. Obviously, we would not have done an entire show about it if there wasn't. But I think the thing that delighted young Katie and me, too, because it obviously stuck in my brain, may not be much deeper than that. But yeah, obviously, the same cartoon. Which, by the way, the cartoons from those nineteen forties era, like Mary Melody's cartoons, just full of references to old politicians and actors that we had no context for. But yeah. I think as little kids, you just accept that, Well, it's this is probably something. It's
1: yeah, it's just a character. I don't know
2: what this is, but it's it must it must be something. Yeah, yeah. He must be talking like that for a reason. He must be, you know.
1: I mean, I'm sure I'm like a lot of listeners. I'm very easy to please. If I see a monkey, I just kind of smile. Automatic reaction. I see a monkey and I'm like, ha ha, look at that monkey.
0: Growing up for me, that was kind of our bet about it because I, I didn't know it from cartoons. But I've got one sibling, my brother, and then on my dad's side, just one male cousin out of all my cousins. And so at Schmidt family parties, they'd have me and my brother and my cousin, Michael, do this pose for a photo. And it was like, ah, look at the little boys, kinda of like monkeys. Ha ha ha. And that I but I didn't know like where it's from. And I just I just sort of assumed that because my grandpa in particular was very Catholic, like I assumed maybe it's biblical and then they depict it with monkeys. Like it sounds like wisdom. We never think about it philosophically in the family, but maybe maybe it's a another thing we've learned from Catholic Church. But it's not, turns out.
2: The reality is not very far from that. There's elements of it. There's elements of the wisdom, and also there are strong elements of monkeys are fun no matter what they're doing. And, Is this and, a
1: monkey cult? Is this what we're going towards?
2: <laughs> if
0: only. Sounds good. The
1: Capuchin monkeys, actual little monks that have their little monkey religion, oh. <laughs> and they go to monkey monasteries, which they call monkisteries. <laughs>
0: And many weeks we start with a set of numbers and statistics, but this week I want to get straight into the entire story of where this comes from and how we ended up with it, and then we'll do stats and numbers at the end. So this week we're starting with takeaway number one. The phrase, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, probably originated as an Asian Buddhist saying translated into Japanese language and culture. A lot of this first takeaway will be fuzzy. A lot of this will be distant historically, but we think it came from Buddhism in Asia. And then the point where it started reaching the rest of the world started in Japan.
2: I hope listeners are not frustrated by your words like maybe and seems to, because (laughs) surely they understand they're they're regular listeners, listeners of the show. If you go back far enough in history, which is not very far at all, you just reach a black box of, I don't know nobody wrote it down we <laughs> the vast majority of human history is a total mystery to us we just have to kind of assume this is what probably happened
1: the problem is everyone from that time period has unfortunately died so we cannot ask no. them yeah i'm sorry and this is yeah <laughs> what? it's bad news bad news guys they're all dead so but that's interesting so it, i mean it kind of so it's kind of a mantra. It seems like it has some either spiritual or philosophical significance then.
2: But I think the the mystery we are trying to solve for the listeners here is well how did monkeys become involved? We'll get to that. <laughs> we're, we're getting to that because this is going to yeah, it's, it's not going to be clear at all when we start well why why monkeys. It's coming. It, this is this is why I find this Fascinating. In fact, I find it incredibly fascinating in a way that's not obvious. It's it's like secretly. In a way that's
1: secret, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're both very sweet. Uh, so <laughs> the the key sources for this first takeaway, there's a piece for Atlas Obscura by users Fred Cherry Garden and Johnny Raven, uh, and all also good an names. entry in the o- all
1: very good names Cherry Garden.
0: Yeah, one of them yeah, has a bird. Yeah, raven. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other source here is the Oxford Dictionary of English Folklore, edited by Jacqueline Simpson and Steve Roud.
1: Le- le- uh, but less this, good names. I'm, I don't mean to be mean, but slightly less good names.
0: Yeah, it, I I definitely did a lot of cross checking of these kinds of sources this week because the start of the story is so fuzzy because the the history of this phrase may go back more than two thousand years. This phrase, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, it might have roots in each of those ideas separately, if that makes sense. Like, just You can just tell someone to see no evil, or just tell someone to hear no evil, or just tell someone to speak no evil, Uh, and we don't know exactly which part of Asia coined an individual part or all of it. One possible candidate is Confucian China, because there's a statement in a text called The Analects of Confucius. It is, quote... Look not at what is contrary to propriety. Listen not to what is contrary to propriety. Speak not what is contrary to propriety. Make no movement which is contrary to propriety. End quote.
1: And does it have any kind of meaning beyond the surface level of just be polite and proper?
0: That's a great question. Yeah. This is just too far beyond my experience and our time for me to know.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have not mastered sort of philosophy and you've not <laughs> sort of reached a state of greater being, Alex?
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as we talk about this phrase, there's just a not citable, not researchable thing of you can take this phrase very surface level or very entire meaning of life. Like it can just be, hey, be calm in situations, or it can be kind of approaching the golden rule like do nothing to others that you would not want onto yourself this is the meaning of life
2: yeah but also we're gonna find out in a moment because i i know what katie is asking this phrase the way they boiled it down in japanese rhymes and it's a fun it's a fun rhyme well the human brain this is science if you can turn a slogan into a fun little rhyme it will stick in the brain way, way, way better than if it's just a phrase. There's something about rhymes or something about the rhythm that just, you know, like like some of us, not me, of course, but to remember the order of the alphabet, we still have a little song we have to sing um, to remember which which letter goes where. Uh, and it, the song is kind of like forces a rhyme to kind of like – so – the question I think you're asking is like, well, that clunky phrase. Surely, that's people weren't saying that to each other. But it, so the question is like, well, was there something? Did it have some pizzazz in the original language? Where it was you oh. know? It's like, well, remember a stitch in time saves nine, or or whatever.
1: Yeah, or liberty, 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 liberty. <laughs> it's
0: from the insurance of Confucius. That's how he protected his things. Uh. Best
1: jingle ever. Yeah, I'm like convinced that was written by a really annoyed ad writer who like they're like, "Mm, no, you need to make it more clear who we are. It's like, fine, liberty, liberty, liberty.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This ties into it. But when I because my degree was in like radio broadcasting and that kind of thing. And they used to have this rule for a 30 second ad. If they if the company's trying to get their phone number out there, you have to have the phone number in the ad six times in 30 seconds <laughs> verbally you need to say it six times like to stick in the brain and same thing with like slogans it's like no repetition you got to say it over and over and over and over again and so instead of where as a writer you want to think okay what do you want to be like don draper like okay what's what what are the the fundamental things people are looking for in insurance reliability what da da it's like no you need a cartoon lizard <laughs> and to say a phrase four or five times, that's how you sell in reality. It's not about trying to give people information. It's not about trying to convince them of anything. It is a nonsense phrase and a cartoon animal of some kind that people enjoy looking at.
1: There's also been research that shows even if you don't immediately trust a commercial, it after like a few months, you'll kind of forget where you heard it from, just that you heard about it. And it's stuck in your brain, and that actually gives it sort of this superficial reliability that you can't quite put a finger on, but you're like, yeah, I remember hearing about this. You don't remember that it was from a commercial, so then you kind of, when you're looking for things, you're like, oh, yeah, I kind of heard something about Geico maybe being good. I don't remember that a gecko told me that, but I think it was an Australian man. I don't know. New Zealand?
2: Yeah, it is. Familiar, therefore it is comfortable; therefore, it is safe.
1: Yes.
0: Maximumfund.org/slash/join, folks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sincerely, though, uh, and and this phrase quickly how it got to the rhyming and powerful. I guess you could call it jingle. Is that Confucian origin I mentioned? That's just one theoretical place where it might have really been sparked and that confucian text is from the warring states period which is more than 2000 years ago but it's also possible this idea originated in india where buddhism originated and then reached china through trade or through or through that religious conversion but all of this is fuzzy what we're clear on is that there was a cultural exchange from china to japan around the 700s ad so around 1300 years ago the 700s ad buddhist monks go from china to japan and many proverbs from Chinese culture, but also from Asian Buddhism, because those are also separate things. Many proverbs and cultural things from all that enter Japanese culture, enter Japanese religion. And all of this combination results in a Japanese language saying, which is Mizaru Kikazaru Iwazaru. Now we're talking Mizaru Kikazaru Iwazaru.
1: That feels good on the mouth.
2: Yes. And that is how you create a, I don't want to use the term mind virus because I don't want to, (laughs) I don't want a negative connotation, but the concept of a meme of an idea that travels and that lasts across centuries, it's something like that. It is fun to say. It's got the wisdom embedded to in it. It's something parents can say to kids. It's something you can put into a piece of calligraphy that looks nice on a wall. Like live laugh love. You know, the alliteration there. I
1: mean that is now, that is a virus, live, laugh, love. <laughs> that that's a herp that is like a herpes, live, laugh, love.
2: <laughs> and boiling an idea down to a series of se- syllables and a rhyme, something like that, you have created something that will outlast you yeah maybe because obviously advertisers are trying to do this all the time. they'll spend hundreds of millions of dollars coming up with a slogan that everybody immediately forgets, but then sometimes they'll come up with one that just becomes a part of the language forever,
1: yeah, like I can say special eyes, and everyone knows what Adam's talking about
0: i <laughs> I actually don't know what is that no I. <laughs>
1: It's a contact lens commercial, oh. uh, and it's like, uh, you know, it's like, I have Specialized, and, and it was a— Oh, they're spelling
2: yeah. it e okay.
1: And then it's—and <laughs> sure. then uh, it was sort of designed to be like a soap opera, but it was about a guy ordering contact lenses and being—not uh, believing that you could order his brand of contact lenses through the mail, and then she shows him that you can, and he goes, my brand— and
0: <laughs> but even, and that name, like, it takes off like a rocket ship because of how those words work in English. This one, it, it seems to have taken off in the Japanese language because mizaru, kikizaru, Iwazaru is, the English translation is see not, hear not, say not. And it just flows really well. Like it, it even kind of flows better than English, like where we've got no seeing, no hearing, no speaking. That that a little bit vibes that well, but Mizaru, Kikazaru, Iwizaru. Just feels good.
2: So is the evil part just implied? because that that has stripped out the impropriety. Yeah.
0: Like Yeah, as far as I'm learning from these these sources translating Japanese, the evil is implied in that phrase. Which is surprising, too. It's surprising that that can be totally clear when you would think it's almost moving it just totally into the realm of funny monkeys doing faces.
2: Well, the rhyme like this almost sounds like meditation versus exclude evil from your life and from your words and from your from your sight or whatever. But again, uh, the meetings are fuzzy because they were handed down long after the people who came up with them were dead and could tell us what they meant
0: that's right yeah
1: the ambiguity though like that is something we're good at is with symbols you nest a bunch of different concepts inside that symbol the symbol doesn't have to directly communicate what um what it is fully, me- the full meaning of the symbol doesn't have to be on the symbol. It's like with letters, you can contain a lot of concepts. So you can simplify a mantra or a saying to something that is not literally saying what you know it's supposed to be saying. But then at the same time, over long periods of time, the original meaning of that can then tra- transform or become lost.
2: Also, sometimes we just communicate ideas to each other that don't mean anything. Sometimes we'll put live, laugh, love up on a little sign in our kitchen, that do not sit around every day pondering, I should laugh more. I should, I should, isn't life about loving? It's like, no, it's just a thing. It's just a thing I bought for my kitchen that <laughs> seems to fit my vibe. Um, And a lot of the words we use and that we say to each other as a species, they're totally stripped of meaning. It's just these are some sounds we make at each other to acknowledge we're part of the same culture.
0: Yeah, I even feel like live, laugh, love in particular can benefit just from typeface. Like just if the store or the designer puts it in good fonts, that can kind of be the hook to get somebody to buy it. And Like the sounds and words and meaning are not quite why. It's like oh look at that could, flow.
1: If you pick three words that are in that same lacy font, you could probably sneak something really naughty on your wall and it'd take people a while to see it.
0: Yeah, I mean the word lick can just slide right in there, right? It's gonna <laughs> it's gonna pass over. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> this is the word lick three times. <laughs> <laughs>
1: lick, lick, lick. And
2: just in the prettiest font. <laughs> It's the most serial killer thing I can I can think of.
1: You could only do that in like an ice cream store.
2: Yeah, even then you would not want to. Yeah, or or a dog's house,
0: or a dog could put it up. Right, then it's just fun. That's just sweet. Uh.
1: Or a dentist, right? Yes, dentist. We're all on the same page. Well,
0: mm, yes,
2: just okay. Love lick, it lick. when they stick their hands in there and you start licking their fingers. That's their favorite. That's their favorite thing. <laughs>
1: I mean, I like it when my dog does that to me, so I figure my dentist will like it when I do it to them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, and especially with the philosophical meaning of this saying, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. I I looked a bit into expert opinions on the history of Buddhism and on how it spread in this time. Uh, I'm going to link about a compilation of scholarly articles called Buddhisms in Asia, And the editors of that say that as Buddhism spread in Asia in its early days, in many contexts, it responded to what the anthropologist James Clifford has termed the predicament of culture, a sense of being off center in a world of competing meaning systems or being in a culture and at the same time being compelled to look critically at it, end quote. And so I I feel like that kind of fits this thing where this phrase can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Because it seems to have some fundamental element of not doing wrong. And maybe also you could say there's a fundamental element of not letting things throw you. And so that all kind of fits a chaotic situation or just lots of different people's lives and predicaments. Like it can be as flexible as live, laugh, love. I don't mean to keep comparing it to that goofy thing. It, it means more than that, but, but you know <laughs> what I mean. <laughs>
1: I mean, it is interesting because if I had to ascribe meaning to it today, I think about like negative thinking. And when you for, do sort of like in a cognitive behavioral therapy, there's this idea that if you have an internal monologue that's negative, that may seem harmless at first, but then it starts to influence your thinking in general and then your actions and your behaviors and your emotions and it becomes sort of a feedback loop. So to interrupt it, when you have a negative internal monologue, even if it's something like, oh, I'm such an idiot, I messed this up. You know, if you change that to like, well, this was inevitable that, you know, I'm gonna make a mistake. It's okay, I'm gonna move on. Then you can transform your emotional outlook on things. And so that kind of, I get that meaning from it, but then I feel like there's so many other meanings you could take from it.
2: You have discovered the secret, which is that it is something that is open enough to interpretation that many people coming from many different points of view can look at it and say, yeah, I can see, you know what, to me, this means Whereas I, growing up, I thought the reason that we had monkeys doing it is that we were making fun of the idea, that it was a criticism of authority figures who refuse to see corruption, refuse to see what's going on, or citizens who refuse to, you know, they ignore injustice. And so it's like, nope, I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it. That's not my problem that these people are being oppressed. Whereas you found something totally different. I think this idea has persisted for exactly that reason, because it is a universal multi-tool that many people can look at and say, no, as a mantra, this has deep meaning for me, even though people are taking totally opposite meanings from it.
1: Yeah, It's like a Rorschach test, but with monkeys, which is kind of a coincidence, because whenever I look at a Rorschach test, I see monkeys.
2: (laughs) No matter what, every time.
1: Monkeys kissing, monkeys dancing.
0: Yeah, and the universality of it, we have one other big takeaway, and it's a huge one, because it's how we basically got to hear and got to sitting and taping this episode. Takeaway number two. Japanese language and mythology is how the idea of see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, got represented by monkeys and got introduced to English.
2: Finally, the monkeys are about to show up in the story.
1: This is when I'm interested. I start listening now.
2: There are <laughs> listeners who have been scrubbing through this recording, trying to hear the word monkey to see when the monkeys show up. <laughs> it's here. It's whatever the minute mark is that this is. Yeah.
1: Learning what the waveform for monkey looks like.
0: <laughs> monkeys, MaximumFun.org slash join. Monkeys, MaximumFun.org slash join. That's a great scheme I've got. It's working really well. Uh, and the, the key sources here the are those previous sources in the first takeaway. And we're also using a report from NPR's show, The Two-Way by Camilla Dominoski. Because in Japanese, this phrase is Mizaru kikazaru Iwazaru. And there's there's still some vagueness in this part of the story, but the gist is what happens is this phrase from China and possibly from Buddhism gets translated into Japanese, and those words mizaru, kikizaru, Iwazaru, all end in the same sound. They all end in zaru. And that's very similar to the Japanese word saru, which is usually translated, spelled S-A-R-U. Uh, but that word means monkey. So just coincidentally, these Japanese words are a play on words for monkeys, and that kicks this off.
1: I just love how those... Just little coincidences create such a domino effect in culture.
2: Yeah, that's all it took. Uh, you, if you look into any element of the popular culture and try to trace it back far enough, this is what you get. Yeah. It, it, where you t- Whether you're talking about fairy tales, holidays, when you try to piece together why we celebrate Easter with bunnies and eggs, and then trying to discern, it's like, well, yeah, but how did they get? Connected? How did they get merged? And again, a lot of these go back so far that it is just a guess. The the concept of the Christmas tree of where Santa Claus came from. And there's like eight different characters that they combined. And so often it's just like, well, traders from this country went to this country and they had this custom, and the, the country they went to had this custom, and they kind of just merged them together. Because they wanted to sell merchandise, and so they needed stuff that everybody would buy, so they just kind of made like, and you can see that happening in real time, the way ideas kind of collide. I I don't want to say that it's random, because I don't want to make it sound like it's meaningless, but the evolution of icons and slogans and phrases and sayings and things like that is incredible to watch because there is such a randomness to it where it could easily have been different. And then it's like, well, it kind of, kind of sounds like monkey. And so people started thinking like making monkey jokes or monkey pictures or monkey figurines or whatever. And you were then off to the races. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And like this monkey, it's the, the breakout character of, of this kind of idea. And it also turns out not only are Buddhism and China and other cultural things influencing Japan, but, Japan influenced this phrase back partly because there's longstanding Japanese mythology about monkeys. It's, it's all over various early culture there. Uh, NPR talked to Dr. Akiko Wali, who's a specialist in Japanese Buddhist art and a professor at the University of Oregon. And she recommended looking into a Japanese folk faith that predated Buddhism. It's called Koshin. And in some Koshin traditions, monkeys played a role as intermediaries between the gods and humans. There was a lot of engraved monkey art at various shrines and temples for that. Also tales of monkeys causing mischief or monkeys trying to impersonate humans. Uh, and then there are simply a lot of monkeys there, in particular a species called the Japanese macaque that is on most islands. Yes. Uh, Katie, you, you may have known more about that. but
1: <laughs> Yeah, I, lo- I love macaques.
0: There's a lot of monkey culture in Japan. Like it's not, it's, it's a much more common animal there than it is here.
1: And I think it's important for people to remember that, like, and the reputations that animals have or the sorts of cultural significance they have varies. So we may have an animal like a black cat or a raven or a monkey, and then we have certain ideas about them. Like the black cat is bad luck, the monkey is silly and dumb, and the raven is like a harbinger of doom. And then you look at different cultures and it's completely different. Like a raven is good luck or a black cat is, you know, a good thing. Like it's lucky to cross a black cat's path or a monkey is wise and uh, clever.
2: This is what I found most interesting about this whole subject, because when I was a kid and I saw my first exposure to the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, was three monkeys in America and in much of the West, I think. A monkey is a comical thing. Like if you put, uh, you know, a chimpanzee and a little overalls that's whatever he does. Like, I'm now delighted. Like, I don't care what happens. Like, you put him in a little yeah. hat, put him wearing people clothes. You know, people come to the zoos. Everybody immediately wants to see the monkeys. And it, I'm using the term monkey to describe all primates. Please do not get mad at me if you actually know your animals, uh, Katie. I, I, I just use a I universal about, term.
1: I was about to attack you.
2: Yeah. Um, How dare you use so,
0: the word monkey for Dunstan Checks in. Dunstan is not a monkey, (laughs) sir.
2: The reason I thought that this this saying was a criticism was because I thought, oh, you're making fun of people who do this. Because if you portray in the USA someone as a monkey, either you're being racist, right, or you're making fun of them, right? Like that's – it's always a negative. Like you're never complimenting a president if you're, make, if you're drawing them as a, a primate, you're saying they're either silly or saying something much, much darker. So when I saw this, I automatically, even as a kid, thought, oh, we are mocking people who close their eyes and close their ears and refuse to talk about certain subjects by portraying them as silly, silly monkeys. When you tell me, well, actually, this they got attached to this in Japan because they're like monkeys are seen as somewhat sacred or intermediaries to the gods or as wise or whatever that is that blows my mind because it means we completely flip the meaning just by the randomness of our culture seeing primates in a certain way just completely different from how from how they see them that is the kind of stuff i love because that's There, it becomes comical watching an idea cross borders and just get transmogrified into something totally different, but equally meaningful, but just from a different direction.
1: It's interesting, too, because in the U.S., we do not, like in North America, we do not have a native primate population. Uh, And so, like, we don't really interact with monkeys or other primates except for in zoos. And Whereas like in Japan at the time that this saying came into being, uh, they did have a, a big macaque population probably interacted with them. And so it's funny to me that monkeys have become in like uh, United States culture, probably other cultures is synonymous with goofy and dumb because they're extremely intelligent. They're one of the most intelligent animals out there. Yes, they can be silly, but they are very clever. and. Animals that are not that smart have become synonymous with wisdom, like owls. Owls are great. I love owls. They're not like the smartest animal. They are a, you know, they're not even the smartest bird. Uh, Parrots are much more... I mean, it's always hard to compare animal intelligence, but if you are going strictly by puzzle-solving ability, these sort of cognitive abilities, something like a parrot is actually much more clever than an owl. Something like a crow is much more clever than an owl. Owls aren't like particularly stupid birds, but they're not the smartest, and yet there's an air of elegance to them, I guess sort of a mystery to them that we just think that they're wise whereas a parrot is bright and colorful and loud and we're like and eh, that must be kind of dumb and it's like no actually the bright colorful loud one is very smart the owl may not be doing much and we think it's just thinking really intensely but it's probably just like in its brain like mouse 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 mouse
2: <laughs> <laughs> but also you can have cases where creatures have shown up in mythology and then that like that portrayal yes. like one writer randomly deciding that the the wise animal sidekick would be an owl instead of a raven that it's like okay now it's cemented in in our minds that these are that these are wise creatures where i think what you said about the monkeys is fascinating that if if your primary encounter with them is in a zoo where they're almost being brought out as a performance like they're in a cage Yes. And we are watching them as if they are entertaining us. It's like, oh, look how funny he swings around. Look how funny he throws his poop at us. Look how funny they are when they do this and that and the way he eats a banana. It's like, well, they're not doing that to entertain you. That's just the setting in which you observe them. And then you you immediately think of like, oh, he's clowning around. He's, you know, he's performing. The monkeys are funny. Whereas if you just saw them in your yard, you probably would not think of it the same way.
1: Right. Exactly. And I think when we anthropomorphize something like a monkey, they aren't going to measure up to human behavior, but they're going to be close. And so to us, that is it's being dumb. It's being stupid. Right. Like, look at it. It's like we say something to it and then it makes this face and that's silly and dumb. And we're thinking of it in terms of like, it's supposed to measure up to human behavior and human concepts and be able to, you know, we've even tried to teach them sign language, which didn't really work out that well. Uh, And so it's, I, I think that because they're somewhat similar to us, when we try to put them in a human context, we're like, oh, they're just like really stupid. But then if you put them in any other context it's very clear that they are actually incredibly intelligent and they have their own form of communication and intelligence that does not, it's not just like that they're furry humans. They are their own thing. And if you can see that and you can see what their behavior is, you're bound to be impressed by it.
0: Uh, Man, absolutely. These monkeys that were just more common in Japan and viewed differently in Japan, they made this saying different. Uh, according to the Oxford Dictionary of English Folklore, this Japanese saying was used to teach prudence and teach purity. Uh, you could still find the art funny, where monkeys are covering their faces and their, and their ears and stuff. but it seems like it was a relatively serious saying, and so it got depicted in a lot of monkey art that shrines and temples and became uh, religious art. It's very different from what we've done with primates in circuses or in zoos where you wait for them to do something weird.
2: Here's where we're going to get into something that may be kind of a sensitive subject, which is the fact that people were selling merch with the Three Monkeys almost from the start. I am not saying that this piece of wisdom and that this iconography has persisted because it is such a great bit of merch to sell. But they have sold a lot of merch, and it really does – that is a factor (laughs) – In how ideas travel. The idea that you can go to a distant land and they have this little thing, this painting or this whatever, keychain, whatever they had back then, t shirts, but the monkeys, everybody loves monkeys, got the little saying on it. Yeah. Certain ideas persist because they lend themselves to merch. I'm not saying that's why this one persisted. I'm saying that is a real factor in the world.
1: Yeah. Well, also, things that were spiritually significant for many different cultures were not above merchandising. Like there, are in these ancient Greek temples, like the temple of Zeus or Athena, you would go and immediately you would come by like a market selling you offerings. And it was, you know, it it, I mean, in a way, when you like look back and you think about it, it was kind of like Disneyland, like you go by and they're like selling you all these things that you can then go use in the temple. And it doesn't mean that it had less of a spiritual significance to people, but there was definitely, you know, where you can make a buck and sell a T-shirt with like Athena's face on it. You're going to do that. Not that they had that back then.
2: Humans love little funny things they can hang around their walls. That is as fundamental a human thing as anything else we do.
0: Uh, Yeah, and this topic really has, I think, brought a lot of people joy in that form. We even have specific date and location for one rendering of this that got turned into especially British merchandise and U.S. merchandise. According to Atlas Obscura, this motif artistically of the monkeys spread all over Japan And then the key depiction of it was at a grand shrine that was built in 1617. Atlas Obscura says the Grand Toshogu Shrine was built and dedicated to the first shogun of the Tokugawa shogunate. One of the buildings that form the complex of this shrine is the sacred stable adorned with an eight-panel sculpture. And the most notable panel is the Three Wise Monkeys, which is three Japanese macaques doing this funny thing of... Mizaru, Kikazaru, Iwazaru, Not seeing, not hearing, not saying. That was built in 1617, apparently during the Meiji era, starting in 1868. You know, there was a big attempt by the Japanese government to do mass media the way that people in Britain and the U.S. and elsewhere were doing it. And then between that and people visiting this image of a Japanese sculpture, either as illustrations or as photos goes worldwide, and then it also gets carved and minted and smelted into all sorts of different trinkets, too. And apparently it was extra popular with British soldiers in the First World War. They would carry it as Lucky Charms, as a physical thing.
1: They are so cute. The original one, is that what I'm looking at here, this colorful picture? Yeah,
0: and we have a picture of it. It's
1: wonderful. It's adorable. I love their expressions. They have so much attitude, I guess, like their little faces... Yeah. I, I also just like they look kinda pleased with themselves, like uh more so a lot of the sculptural renditions I see, they actually look kind of scared. And I like this version where they're just like hee.
0: <laughs> yeah. The one artist did an amazing job and they really sparked like a global change that makes all three of us familiar with it.
2: Yeah. Because now this image and this saying is in the jaws of capitalism now it is it is something there are moving millions of units and now it has been swallowed up into the west and now it is a thing you can sell and now we are in a whole different different phase because if you could interview the hundreds of millions of people who have owned some piece of three wise monkeys merch and ask them what it means to them i'm going to guess the like Katie's reaction. I love, I love the little monkey's faces, and he looks embarrassed in that first, that first one there, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> like I think that it's is really as good. far that is as far as it goes. Um, but there is a point where we buy things because we saw it and saw someone else had it, and then we bought it for ourselves, and that is as deep as the goes, which is, which is fine. But the way ideas spread in the like mass media capitalism era. Very different than how they spread prior to prior to that. Once you started getting into the 1920s or whatever, and it's like British soldiers had these in their pockets. It's like, yeah, now now it's a thing. Now it's a thing that every every souvenir shop has in it.
0: Yeah, and it, and then as text, it even might have glommed on to a Middle Ages saying. Apparently, there used to be a late Middle Ages saying in English, which is "hear all, see all, say not." One more time, that's hear, all, see, all, say, not, which is different. But apparently some Europeans made figurines of the monkeys doing that, where two of the monkeys are trying to hear and trying to see. And then that has also sort of dovetailed into ultimately being this this Asian saying that people probably didn't know is Asian.
2: So what is that? That's the saying, like, remain... Like remain silent or don't talk too much. What's the <laughs> what's the value there? They're trying to.
0: Yeah, I I think it's sort of a keep your cards close to your chest meaning, like just be smart about stuff. But I, it's also sort of like the other saying that's the topic. It could mean lots of different things.
1: Better for people to think you a fool than for you to open your mouth and remove all doubt. People who
2: people who say stuff like that love to hear themselves talk more than anyone else, is the funny thing. (laughs) It's like what what they really mean is, you should let me do all the talking. Yay! (laughs) Okay, there was something that I... The three monkeys in this image, is this supposed to be the same monkey making three gestures, or is it a group of three monkeys?
0: Oh, you know, I think I think that's a perfect segue into the stats and numbers, uh, but also oh, I'm
2: sorry. You're about to get to that. I oh, that's I where apologize. We're, I jumped you're good.
0: the gun. And that's where we're headed. So, uh, folks, we're going to take a short break. We're going to tell you about all sorts of stuff. Maximum slash join. And then we'll come back with stats and numbers on the rest of the show. Hey, it's Alex, and I want to tell you two things I'm excited about. One is the thing I have been excited about since episode one of this podcast. For the entire run of this podcast, it has been supported by listeners. Now more than ever, with our wonderful partners at Maximum Fun, it's a listener-supported network. That's how these are artist-owned shows. That's how it's an employee-owned co-op. It can only exist through listener support. So listeners who support this show are the reason you are hearing this show. In order to make that support go as far as it possibly can, I am also always looking for companies that make sense as a sponsor to to jump in and do an extra little tag team on top of that listener support. This week, that sponsor is Wild Grain. Wild Grain is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Uh, One more time, that's sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. In other words, the three best foods, right? I would not turn down any of those ever, which is why I keep checking the tracking on the wild grain box that is coming my way. Also, as I track that box, I know that I will get to have my foods very quickly because every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. If you have an oven, if you even do a toaster oven sized amount, you're going to be able to eat this very quickly after receiving it in the best way. Also, Wild Grain is based in Boston. Shout out our northeastern neighbors, Boston. And I like that they are rooted in the Boston community. For every new member, Wild Grain donates six meals to the Greater Boston Food Bank. So when you eat good as a Wild Grain member, you also get to do good at the same time. There's also just an accidental nice thing here for me, because as you remember from a few weeks ago, we did an episode about yeast. Me and Katie got to talk about yeast all the time. Like, oh, yeast does all this magic stuff. Really got me in the mood for sourdough. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know if the episodes impact you that way, especially if they're foods. But man, I wanted to have some sourdough. And so I just keep checking this tracking on this wild grain box because I know I'm going to open it. I'm going to preheat the oven and I'm basically immediately going to prepare myself sourdough. It bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. So within the hour, I'm going to be chowing down. It's going to be great. And let's set that up for you. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box. Plus, free croissants in every box. Wow. When you go to wildgrain.com slash to start your subscription, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash Again, that's wildgrain.com slash Or you can use promo code Sifpod at checkout.
1: Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
0: Just one more week till Max Fun Drive.
1: <laughs> Hard to believe. Me? Oh,
0: nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check.
1: What? Hang on.
0: It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So, I had my kids do it.
1: Saying swear words. Saying Thanks. swear words. Yeah, um. Bad jokes.
0: Bad jokes?
1: Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're gonna interview them and then you just stay there like like really quiet and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring
2: because of Jordan, right? Not me
1: because of both of you.
0: Oh, subscribe to Jordan. Jesse go a comedy show for grownups.
2: I forgot that we hadn't done the stats already. So I, I, yeah, it's great. I thought yeah. we had skipped this point because the fact that this could possibly be the same monkey three times infuriates me for some reason.
1: No, it's gotta be three monkeys. They've, Each got three names, like Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Uh, (laughs) I refuse any other version.
0: Yeah, folks, we are back, and we're going to dive into that idea that you may not have thought of, but maybe this is the same monkey repeatedly. But to get into that, on every episode, we get into a set of fascinating numbers and statistics. This week, that is in a segment called Stats Rule Everything Around Me. Sif, get the knowledge.
1: Numerical thrill, y'all. (laughs)
0: uh, folks that name was submitted by alan sigismund on twitter thank you for that wu-tang alan and there's a new name for this segment every week please make them as silly and wacky and bad as possible submit through that discord for sif that we have also personal note from alex I think this is going to be the last episode before I stop using Twitter. Uh, the accounts will still be up for me and for the podcast, but just hasn't been a good experience on that app. And there's so many other ways to hang out, in particular, the Discord. There's a link in the description of the episode to join the Discord. We're also on Instagram, also on TikTok, it's Fpod. But let's hang out other ways, and it's great. Uh, but we, but we, what we really want to know, why could this be just one monkey? Because uh, uh, one way of finding that out has been emoji first number here is 2015. The first number here is 2015. That is the year when Unicode added three Emoji to the world's Emoji keyboard representing each of these three monkeys. The see no evil monkey, hear no evil monkey, speak no evil monkey. And Emojipedia says they were all added in the global Unicode set in Emoji 1.0. They were not in some earlier forerunners of Emoji created by Japanese mobile phone companies. Uh, if you want to hear all about the history of that, listen to the Bison Emoji podcast mini series that I made with Katie Guesting.
1: Alex is in the pocket of Big Emoji. There, I said it. <laughs> you did not make me sign an NDA. Oh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Next number here is a poll result it is 53.4%. So, not a huge majority, but a majority. 53.4% of respondents to a Twitter poll in 2016 said that they think this is one monkey making three different faces rather than three that different monkeys. Uh-
2: <laughs> so literally most people thought it was just one monkey this whole time. Yeah. That is, I I, I gobsmacked. <laughs>
0: Because, yeah, the the emoji, it, it is a not obvious choice to make it three separate emoji, right? Like, they're emoji of three or more people all in one picture, like the sort of family emoji. And it seems like, especially in the emoji era, we've landed on this new possibility that it is one monkey doing three things. People who mainly have discovered them through their keyboard rather than Mary Melodies or my grandpa, they I guess they're deciding... Oh, it's that uh, that monkey doing different stuff. We love the one monkey we all know.
1: <laughs> this is this is a historical revisionism, I think, of monkeys.
0: <laughs> yeah, and this this poll also got around. It was posted by comedy writer Johnny Sun. He did this poll and was uh, he says surprised by the result. There were also a few people who responded to the poll with the kinds of information we've been talking about on the podcast, like they replied to the tweet and said, like, it was Aru Kikazaru, like, you need to know that. But uh, Johnny proceeded to think deeply on what it means, and he decided that it probably means there's now a split between the mythological origin and the modern emoji keyboard usage. And he says, quote, The One Monkey team, I think, is more interesting because they speak on the side of how these emoji are interpreted and used in day-to-day life.
1: I mean, it's yet another transformation of this from its original meaning. We went from sort of a saying to monkeys to monkey sculpture carving to handheld monkey, portable monkeys, now yeah. digital monkeys.
2: Yeah. Let me just say the revelation that in here that this maybe is supposed to be the same monkey making three different gestures. And that maybe it always has meant that is there is there a definitive answer? I, I, I you're probably getting to it. That really, for some reason, really really bothers me. The idea that maybe I've always been looking at it wrong.
0: Yeah i I believe it is supposed to be three separate monkeys in the pre. Internet version in the version that's being carved and represented places, but again, this is not scriptural or not from one legend everybody subscribes to. It's it's kind of whatever you make of it.
1: So, are the monkeys friends? Are they brothers? Are they nephew <laughs> all three brothers and they're uh, the nephew to a rich monkey? <laughs>
2: <laughs> the image you pasted in the iconic like uh, carving or whatever this is. They've intentionally give them all the exact same like coloring on their fur and like on their chest, the exact same eyes. If they were supposed to be three different monkeys, like one should have a mustache. Right. One should have a hat. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Like in the rules of art, if it was supposed to be a wacky three, Yui, yeah. Dewey, and Louie type situation, they would have some differentiation. And they, yeah. A red this, hat,
1: a green hat, blue hat.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This looks suspiciously to me like it's the same one at different phases of denial or whatever. And I never until preparing for this podcast had ever considered that idea. And now I have been, I have become convinced that it is not three wise monkeys at all. It is one monkey making three different gestures, which makes me mad for reasons I don't, I can't really put my finger on.
1: Or what if it's, Two clones of one monkey, but they don't know which one's the original anymore.
0: <laughs> They're all on a rooftop pointing guns at each other in a standoff. Yeah. Uh, it's
2: the same monkey that has come back through time to warn his younger and older <laughs> self not to live in denial.
1: Yeah, I've seen
0: Time Chimp.
2: Sure.
1: So it's like monkey tenant? <laughs> yes.
2: It is a, a reverse temporal pincer move.
0: Yeah, and and also, I didn't know these monkeys are part of the big contingent of Japanese emoji. Because I I think people don't really think about it, but if you look at the whole keyboard, it's really heavy on Japan-specific stuff. Like, there's the fish cake with a swirl design emoji. There's a lot of snacks that are pretty Japanese-specific. There's an emoji for the Tokyo Tower. There's an emoji for the symbol for onsen hot springs. And I now know that these monkeys are another one of those, like emoji originated in Japan. And it's a low-key way that Japanese culture has become an even bigger thing in the world.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that is once we have a more international form of communication, whether it's through the internet or just the better ease of traveling at the turn of the century, it's like then we start to have these ideas from other cultures come together come to new cultures but then we don't always the original meaning of those things don't always transfer so then we may ascribe some kind of new meaning or you know a meaning that goes completely contrary to the original meaning but that that's kind of what happens once you have a more universal communication
2: yeah and that's you will find out if you try to read a text from even 100 years ago let alone something from 1000 years ago you must understand Part of what is inscrutable about it is that there are jokes and references and things that have been long forgotten, and nobody remembers the context for it. Yeah. It's, a, it's the same thing. When people look at our culture in the future and they look at our emojis, they'll be like, well, what was, did people used to eat eggplant when they got together for dates? Like, why do they always have so many eggplant emojis in there when they're, like, talking to their their partners or whatever? It's like... Culture is is like that. We've totally forgotten the context of which any of this stuff was invented.
1: We've also got some jokes that just stay consistent. They're solid gold no matter what you're like. People have been doing graffiti wieners forever, and it always basically means the same thing of like, ha-ha, a wiener.
0: (laughs) Yes. Hey, look.
2: That's the joke. Uh...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Check Check it
2: out. Drawn the same way. Yeah, it is. Yeah. (laughs)
0: But, uh, and final number here. It's it's a conceptual number because the number is infinity, uh, and that that's is too
1: many. That's too many numbers. It's too
0: big, uh, and it's, it's just because that's the number of different ways this phrase, this topic, can get applied to a failure to do the right thing, which we talked about earlier. But just fast googling, I found a piece from the Irish Examiner using it to criticize Catholic officials' approach to sex abuse from The Guardian criticizing British and international leaders for how they ran the London 2012 Olympics, editorial on IndieWire.com by director Lexi Alexander about all sorts of problems in Hollywood, and just fast cursory Google search, I found articles accusing the last three U.S. presidents, Obama, Trump, and Biden, of see no evil, here, no evil policies. It's, it's one of the permanent ways this phrase is part of the furniture in our world and, and in our life.
1: To
2: the point now that it is hard for me to imagine scenarios where these days in our culture where it would be presented as like a positive thing, like the idea of just you know promoting purity, purity of mind, and to not you know expose yourself to evil and that kind of thing. Like as even as a religious value, um, and as a moral value, like like don't listen to you know evil and don't look at it evil images and don't talk about evil things, even among evangelicals, I don't hear that promoters as a value. It's more about like confronting evil, not keep your mind pure by just keeping that out of your world. Don't look at it. Don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Like that's, there are many sectors in America where that's like the, the value they promote as a positive. It's almost entirely this other thing. It's, it's like, yeah, you turned a blind eye to corruption.
1: It's also not like the original meaning didn't necessarily seem to be specifically about evil in the sense that we think of it now. It could have been just like, don't keep your mind in the gutter, you know, (laughs) like or, you know, negative negativity or impropriety. You know, these other concepts other than just like pure evil.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that can really make this phrase stick into the future because there will always be evil. We'll always think about it. And Oddly, another related phrase I'm thinking of, I learned it from TikTok and it involves monkeys. It's people saying, not my circus, not my monkeys is the saying, which means this isn't my problem. If I expend emotional energy, sweating it or fretting about it, it's not something that impacts me and it's not my job to fix it. it. The saying again is not my circus, not my monkeys. But like this, this is a very flexible idea. It can get applied to all sorts of stuff.
1: I'm imagining a very panicked ringleader going, it is my circus, and these are my monkeys. (laughs) Give me back my monkeys. (laughs) That's a
2: saying that I thought was regional from where I'm from, from the Midwest, because it it implies that the monkeys have escaped and are rampaging. And you're saying, I don't own the circus. Those are not my monkeys. Oh, but it doesn't it doesn't expand on this scenario at all. It's just the only context in which someone could say, not my circus, not my monkeys. It's like the monkeys are just creating havoc in the background, burning (laughs) things down and just destroying everything because they have escaped. And as you try and say, it is not my job to round up those monkeys. It's not talk, talk to Mr. Talk to Mr. Barnum.
1: I also wonder how I'm excited to see how see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil transforms again because as people use the emojis there's going to be new meanings ascribed to them just like you know everybody knows the peach emoji has a meaning Uh, you know uh, then you know like it will have new meanings as we use them in social media actually I don't know what the peach emoji means I was bluffing I was hoping everyone would think I knew what that meant
0: peach season Uh, yeah (laughs) I've actually, like, organically seen the see-no-evil emoji specifically for embarrassment. Hmm. Like somebody saying, oh, I'm so embarrassed, and they tag it with a a monkey covering its eyes.
2: And that is something we are going to expound on in the bonus episode, I happen to know.
0: Perfect. Because that is a
2: whole thing of real animals actually doing this gesture. And when humans do it, what does it mean, and why do we do it? Tune
0: into that. Maximumfun.org slash
2: join.
1: Monkey! Monkey! Maximumfun.org slash join. Monkey!
0: <laughs> Folks, that's the main episode for this week. Right away, I want to say thank you to our special guest, Jason Pargin, and to Jesse Thorne, Jordan Morris, Ellen and Christian Weatherford, Elliot Kalen, all the folks who joined us in special appearances for the Maximum Fun Drive and beyond. There will also be future extra folks joining me and Katie from time to time or when there's a special opportunity for it. I'm so glad we have that flexibility. And more fundamentally, I'm so glad for friends. Uh, Friends have just been absolutely incredible in letting people know about this show from its very beginning and letting people know the new news of, you know, it's still pretty new news joining this Network Maximum Fun. We're so happy to be a part of it. And thank you to them. Thank you to you for enjoying the fun as we do it. Now, as you know, this is the outro. It has fun features for you, such as help remembering this episode with a run back through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, the phrase, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, probably originated as an Asian Buddhist saying translated into Japanese language and culture. Takeaway number two, Japanese language and mythology are how the idea of see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, got represented by monkeys and also introduced to English. We also had a whole set of stats and numbers about new modern meanings for this phrase. Everything from ignoring evil in the world to deciding one single monkey is all three of the emoji. Those are the takeaways. Also, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show at MaximumFun.org and we previewed it right at the end of the episode there. The bonus show is about real life monkeys inventing their own meaning for the see no evil gesture. They independently started doing it and for a specific communication reason. Visit MaximumFun.org for that bonus show, for a library of nearly 12 dozen other bonus shows and a catalog of all sorts of Maximum Fun bonus shows, a bunch of new boco from the drive that just happened. It is special audio just for members. Thank you for being somebody who backs this podcast operation. Additional fun thing, check out our research sources on this episode's page at MaximumFun.org. Key sources this week include Atlas Obscura, the Oxford Dictionary of English Folklore, edited by Jacqueline Simpson and Steve Roud. Also a book, of scholarship called Buddhisms in Asia, Traditions, Transmissions, and Transformations that's edited by Nicholas S. Brazavan and Micheline M. Sung and published by State University of New York Press. That page also features resources such as native-land.ca. I'm using those to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Canarsie and Lenape peoples. Also, Katie taped this in the country of Italy. Jason recorded this on the traditional land of the Shawnee, Eastern Cherokee, and Saatsoyaha peoples. And I want to acknowledge that in my location, Jason's location, and many other locations in the Americas and elsewhere, native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode, and join the free SIF Discord, where we're sharing stories and resources about Native people and life. We're also talking all about this episode on the Discord. And hey, would you like a tip on another episode? Each week I'm finding something randomly incredibly fascinating for you by running all the past episode numbers through a random number generator. This week's pick is episode 22, which is a fantastic episode, all about mayonnaise, Turns out mayonnaise might be named after a Mediterranean city, named after a Carthaginian general. So I recommend that episode. I also recommend my co-host Katie Golden's weekly podcast Creature Feature about animals, science, and more. I also recommend our guest's newest novel— That book is Zoe is Too Drunk for This Dystopia. It's available for pre-order now, and as I said at the beginning, authors count on your pre-orders. The wonderful Jason Pargin is a full-time novelist, and this is the third book in the Zoe Ash series. That whole series is amazing. He often tweets sales on the previous ones. And this next one is going to be fantastic. Our theme music is Unbroken, Unshaven by The Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode extra extra special thanks go to our members and thank you to all our listeners i'm thrilled to say we will be back next week with more secretly incredibly fascinating so how about that talk to you then